In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Sex Talk with Lou. I was in San Diego, pardon me, San Diego's next week. I was in San Francisco last week and ran into a number of my colleagues, and I was lucky enough to meet and have someone who is going to be on the show with me this week. And the title of the show kind of like the, you know, the thumbnail sketch of it is, you know, the supporting gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans youth coming out, supporting GLBT youth coming out. And this is an area of specialty for my guest this evening. And it is Mr. Al Killen Harvey. He's a licensed clinical social worker, and he is the clinical supervisor at the Chadwick Center for Children and Families at San Diego's Ratty Children's Hospital. And he supervises a staff that works with children who have been physically, sexually, and or emotionally abused. Now, the reason that we're, we're speaking in the area of G, GLBT is that these are often children who are not that, that the families are not sure how to deal with. They are often, when it comes to children who are on the streets, a good percentage of them are of this population. And what I wanted to do is pick Al's brain. He's a frequent presenter nationally and internationally on a wide variety of subjects related to children and adolescents. And actually, he just recently returned from Bogota, Colombia, where he gave the first ever presentation on gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender issues to a Pan American Child Abuse Conference. Now, the focus here is going to be on transition and on coming out, but we know that that often, there are parts of that that often trickle into, unfortunately, the abuse situation. So, Al, I trust that you are on the line with me. I am, Lou. I'm here. Lovely to have you, and thank you so much for being with us this evening. It's an absolute thrill, and thank you so much uh, for inviting me and, more importantly, for giving your valuable airtime to a a subject that I am so passionate about, and I know that you are as well, and you and I both trust that this kind of information is going to actually help save lives. So I applaud you for, for selecting the topic, so thank you for that. 
You know, thank you, Al. And, you know, when I first started in the area, when I first volunteered on the AIDS ward at Cedars-Sinai, and this was 15 years ago, I mean, people looked at me like I had five eyes and aren't you worried about getting it? And I knew that there was something that I could do, and I knew that these people were not being taken care of. And now we have that population and we have other areas being taken care of and particularly for young adolescents and anyone who's transitioning into something that is not what people would consider the norm there's a lot of different pressures and there's a lot of different ways people aren't really sure how to act or react Mm -hmm. so let me ask you given that you know the importance of taking care of and having the coming out process or the introduction or the sexual orientation process be something that validates and is, you know, matches up with how someone knows themselves. How did you first get introduced to this and how did it become a passion for you? It's a great question, Lou. Thanks. Um, I've, I've been working in the arena of, of child abuse and child maltreatment for over 20 years as a, as a clinical social worker and as a, a treatment therapist. And for uh, a number of years early on in my career, I would be working with kids who had been exposed to domestic violence or had been physically abused by somebody or sexually abused by someone in the family or outside of the family. Um, and every once in a while, I would get one of those sort of whispered conversations from one of my colleagues who was working with a kid in that situation and then also thought that that child may be dealing with issues around their sexual identity or their gender identity. Mm -hmm. And there were very few resources around that that, uh, arena years ago, and I had some expertise in that. So what, what happened as often happens for professionals like myself, I started to get the referrals of the quote-unquote gay kids or lesbian kids that were Mm -hmm. coming into treatment centers for child sexual abuse, which you would expect in any uh, area that you're working with, you're going to have a given number of kids that are dealing with that. But as I started to work with these kids, I started to also realize that we were missing a little link here. It wasn't just that within any population of abused um, kids, you're going to find some kids that are dealing with sexual orientation or gender identity. The actual process of coming to terms with one's sexual orientation or gender identity at times puts some of these kids at risk of being abused. So it was actually the reason why they were entering into our system to begin with. And many times those kids didn't tell anybody that. They would give some other surface story as to what happened, or they wouldn't say anything, but people knew something was going on for this kid. But it was way too scary for them to say, part of the reason that I came home with a broken arm is that kids started beating me up in the locker room because they kept calling me a fag. Or part of the reason that I now have some sexually... uh, sexual transmitted infection is because I was sexually assaulted by somebody because I put myself in a position where I was curious, I wanted to get more information, and I trusted somebody to give me that information and they sexually assaulted me and Uh took advantage of that. And I couldn't tell anybody. So I realized there was a big gap here between the child welfare uh, community and the LGBT community. They were operating as two distinct communities that really had nothing to do with one another, and in reality, there was a lot of overlap between the two. So the child welfare was looking at the child welfare, and the Mm -hmm. other area was looking at people who had actually already come out. So the little link, as you're referring Mm -hmm. to, it wasn't such a little link, it was the process. 
Right. And, and the people in child welfare, for example, and as many people did at the time, thought of issues around sexual orientation and gender identity as being adult issues. Those oh, are things one deals with when you're older, but that has nothing to do with us because we're working with kids. And gay and lesbian professionals at the time were very hes- hesitant to try to make any kind of overtures towards any organization that dealt with children because of all the bias and the stereotype that, you know, gay men or lesbians are perpetrators or child molesters. So that community stayed away from organizations and agencies that were working with kids. Those who had already gone through and could have been the role models. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yep. Okay. So there, there, there was where the bridge needed to be made, and that's part of the area that I'm so passionate about and, and have the privilege of getting to do every day. Now, when I know, as I said, when I had your husband on, Doug mm-hmm. Ron Harvey, I yes. said, this is what I love. I love being a student in the area mm-hmm. of sexuality, sexual health, any, mm-hmm. you know, health issue, but particularly my favorite is sexual health. <laughs> and right. I, I mean, I know that we can't possibly know everything in this field. It's too vast. It's too huge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone like you, you can be my tutor for the evening. I, I would love to. And actually, you know what? I'm going to co-opt that a little bit, and I'm going to use a different word, if I might, mm-hmm. with your permission, mm-hmm. Lou, um, mm-hmm. because it's a, another area that um, I know we're going to get at some point to talk about kind of where do we think things are going to go in the future. I'm going to use mm-hmm. the word men- mentor instead, and I would love to be your mentor for this next okay. hour. And mentoring is a very important aspect and a very huge need in the gay and lesbian community, particularly for, for gay and lesbian adolescents. They need mentoring. So you and I are going to do a little parallel process today. So I'll mentor you a little bit, and mm-hmm. hopefully other people will decide over time that they want to help mentor some gay and lesbian kids out there, and that would be a lovely thing. Okay. And thank you for being my mentor. <laughs> now, if you were to say, what would be um, a smooth process for coming out? And... What would be, you know, because what we're looking at is, is there a particular age when it normally happens? Is it around puberty? Is it when someone is younger? And we're not just talking, you know, lesbian, gay. We're also talking bisexual. We're also mm-hmm. talking transgender. I mean, right. We have much greater awareness of that there is a, a range of, mm-hmm. of gender. And as you talked, you know, we have two minutes until our break. So why don't you go through sexual identity as mm-hmm. you would, would use it when you're working with clients and, and, mm-hmm. the, and any population and gender identity mm-hmm. with any population? Great. Um, for sexual identity, it's, um, let me give you an example of how I would describe that for an audience. Someone that refers to themselves, for example, as gay or lesbian in their sexual identity, what that means is that person forms their primary loving, emotional, erotic, intimate, and social connections with somebody of the same sex. It's not exclusive. doesn't mean they just live their lives surrounded by other men or other women, but where that primary pull is, where they feel most connected, most alive, um, is with somebody of the same sex. So around okay. sexual orientation for somebody that is gay or lesbian, that would be how they navigate their, their world. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then gender identity is how one feels 
around the degrees of masculinity and femininity, which are very subjective concepts I, I recognize and very culturally influenced. But it's that sense of my masculinity and femininity and how I relate to that. Mm-hmm. And okay. um, what we have discovered in both arenas, both, and, and they are completely separate arenas, but in both sexual orientation and gender identity, if there is a huge degree of variation and fluidity, both amongst all of us and even within one person's own experience. So uh, we, and, we, go ahead. And, and of that, there is no doubt. Now, we have 10 seconds until we okay. go to our break. So we're going to keep everyone hanging on the edge until we come <laughs> back on sexual identity and gender identity. And then I'm going to ask you to describe it for a couple of scenarios. Please Great. stay with us. My guest is Al Killen Harvey. Please return for Sex Talk with Lou. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Adoption, Journey to Motherhood with Mary Beth Wells. Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. Central. This is not your typical show about adopting children. This is a shared experience from Mary Beth's heart. Mary Beth will be talking about and covering all the issues pertaining to adoption, including adopted parents, birth parents, adoptees, foster care, and infertility. So... How did your journey to motherhood begin? Or are you still on the path? We want to hear all voices sharing their stories and talking about those issues that are so dear to our hearts. You see, Mary Beth is a birth mom that relinquished a child for adoption and ended up coming full circle by adopting two beautiful little girls from Guatemala. And that led to her starting a doll company about adopting baby dolls from all around the world so that children could choose their own doll and learn about that doll's heritage. For more on Mary Beth and her dolls, go to PreciousBabyDolls.com. Then join us for Adoption, Journey to Motherhood. With Mary Beth Wells, Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. Central. Remember, the heart knows no boundaries. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand. Or you're the winner. Well, now, we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on Toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressey. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on Togedat.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. 
I'm Lou, and my guest this evening is Al Kellen Harvey, licensed clinical social worker. And before the break, we were talking about the definitions of sexual identity, mainly being particularly, you know, if we speak of gay and lesbian, that their primary loving sexual, you know, the, the heartfelt connection they have is someone of same sex. And gender identity is how one feels about their femininity, masculinity, and, and how they relate to that. Now, for any of you, if you do have questions, given that we are live right now, all, everyone else, you'll, you'll be listening on a, you know, free, you know, download from iTunes. You can call in at 877-864-4869. Repeating that again for you, 877-864-4869, and you can either, you know, ask myself or, better still, um, Al Killen Harvey, who, for him, this is his specialty, helping for GLBT youth transition the coming out process. So, Al. Yes. Give me um, a walking, talking example of someone with gender, what, what their gender identity may be if it is fluctuating, mm-hmm. if it's um, gender fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's a, a really interesting arena and, and one that's getting a lot more um, notoriety and press these days. We are, we are finally starting to recognize that degree of, of, of gender fluidity that, that many of us have. It's interesting because historically it was... Um, kind of stereotypically attached to sexual orientation. For example, if a man was expressing himself in ways that were atypical of what we expect of men, um, it was assumed that that gave us some insight into his sexual orientation. That was really another way of saying that he, in essence, was gay. We now realize they are two separate and very distinct processes. So somebody that is expressing themselves may be born with the physiological properties of a male, but at some point in their life begin to realize, begin to understand, begin to accept the fact that they relate to the world in a way that is feminine or female. They know themselves to be female, whatever that means for them. That would be the beginning of that person's um, gender identity understanding. Um, Before the break, you had asked a question, a sub-question in this about age ranges, both for gender identity and sexual orientation. When does it happen, you know, typically at what point in one's life? And Uh that's an area that we don't have an answer to, partly because, as you know, as we all know, we don't live in a perfect world where every child born in, in this world is given all of the information all of the access to information and all of the permission to allow themselves to be whoever they are. We don't live in that kind of world. And because of that, um, therefore, people may not get in touch with or understand these parts of themselves until very much later in their lives. Yeah, right. Because mm-hmm. they didn't have the information, they didn't have the education, it was too risky to explore it. Um, there are many reasons why somebody may not, not even know this part of themselves um, until much, much later in their life. Does that make and, sense? And absolutely. Now, my older sister is gay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she always knew from the time when she was very young, she mm-hmm. said her comment was, I thought everyone had crushes on their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And then she went, she was sent away to boarding school. That was mm-hmm. what my parents thought was the bright thing to do. <laughs> and <laughs> no comment on that. <laughs> then when she came back, it was like the socialization process was mm-hmm. you are to be, uh, you know, attracted. And mm-hmm. yet she always 
that was always there. And when she finally came out, it was, she was, you know, 32. She had been married. She had two young daughters. And this is the, you know, like this is the, you know, as I call it, you know, sort of like the, the, the meat of what we wanted to talk about this right. evening. When you speak of being, you know, the mentor through this and the process that puts children and puts anyone at risk when they're not mm-hmm. given, you know, the validating or the accurate mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she, she thought everyone had the crushes, but it wasn't until she was an adult that she was able to see it and able to get information and stand firm in her own awareness. Mm-hmm. So what are, if someone is a parent, right. if someone is um, a sibling, mm-hmm. if someone is wanting to and and going through this, what are the things that people can help them with, be aware of, and what are the processes that you see that help people to do this in a in a healthy and you know in a way that makes them feel good about themselves? Because that's the point of this. Sure. sure. And, Every and, time and we go a, through something, you know, it may not be easy, but you need to feel good about you. Right. Right. That's a great question, and and a version of that I get asked all the time in the presentations that I I do, and, and the question is uh, framed just a, a slightly differently, but it, it's an important difference that I'd like to point out to people. People will say to me, well, "What do I do if I think my child is gay or lesbian, or I think a student of mine is gay or lesbian, or a client is gay or lesbian? How can I make it better for them? How can I help them come out?" Um, uh-huh. The first thing that I say to folks is that we have to make sure that's not our agenda. Um, the coming okay. process is a personal process, and each individual has to decide for himself or herself when and how they are going to do that. And in our, in our zeal to try to want to help, we sometimes can push kids a little too fast or too soon, and there actually might be negative repercussions for that. We, we think a kid is gay, and so then we, we start asking questions around that, start making resource connections for that kid. First of all, we could be wrong, and so what kind of message has that sent to that kid? Secondly, well, that's cool that you get that, and you're supportive of me, you know, teacher so-and-so, the rest of my life is not going to be so supportive of this, and I don't want anybody else knowing that. So we've got to be careful that we don't jump too fast um, with kids. So I say to folks that instead of looking at um, those kinds of things that you could, if you think that you, you know a kid is dealing with these issues, assume every kid in your world is dealing with this issue. Think about okay. that for a moment. Your, every child in your family, every kid in your classroom, every client that comes to your agency, and be cognizant of the way that you present yourself. Is there anything that you do in your day-to-day life, in your conversations, in your policies, in your organization, in your forms, uh, in your agencies, that if a kid was struggling with these issues, that, that that conversation or those forms would in any way say to that kid, I don't get you. You're not welcome here. You're not part of the normative population. The, uh, uh, that that of, is yeah. such a powerful exercise, isn't it? It, and it totally flips it to, to the other way around. Because it absolutely it's not so much what, what, what we say and uh-huh. what we're looking for, what we have to remember is that these kids are looking at us, and they're True. watching for the cues. Uh-huh. Has my family been fairly open around other stuff? What happens when the word gay or lesbian comes up at our, our dinner conversation? Even if nobody thinks it has anything to do with our family, how does the family respond? 
Kids pick up on that very early in their lives, many times long before they even self-identify. But they remember that, oh, my God, there was a gay pride parade thing on the television, and my dad went ballistic. And I was six mm-hmm. years old. I didn't even really know what it was. I just knew he got so angry. So at mm-hmm. 12 or 13, when I thought I started to realize I may be attracted to kids of the same sex, I would never tell my dad, I remember that experience at six years old. Kids really remember that. They are screening and scanning all the time for the ways that we respond. It, that's true because their whole lives are about keeping themselves safe by getting yep. the correct reaction. Exactly. Exactly. So Within if you that go with the mindset of, let's assume every kid that I'm interacting with may be dealing with this, and position yourself that way, then you're on the right road. Because okay. the, the big link, which I know you know, um, Lou, the big link we are now seeing in the research is showing us very clearly that kids that come from families that are rejecting around their sexual orientation or their gender identity are at tremendous risk of long-term both mental health issues and physical uh, health issues as well. Uh, that's that's a key yeah. studies that's, that's, that have come out repeatedly. And I, I want to plug one of those because it's an important resource for um, therapists as well as for families. There is um, real seminal work that came out of San Francisco State University, the, the Cesar Chavez Institute, called the Family Acceptance Project, mm-hmm. um, a whole study on correlation between the ways family respond and long-term outcomes for kids. And it showed a direct correlation that kids that came from rejecting families around this had higher rates of depression, of suicide, of substance abuse, involvement with law enforcement, all kinds of long-term implications because of that rejection of who they were. And, and again, it was San Francisco State University. Right. Cesar Chavez. It's called, it's, it, Cesar Chavez Institute. That's where it came mm-hmm. out. Of, but the project mm-hmm. itself is called the Family Acceptance Project. Mm-hmm. You can Google it, um, and there's resources on the website. They've started a video series where they've been videotaping families that have uh, had these conversations now where they now realize that by the very fact of not even talking about this issue with their kid is putting their kid at risk of, of harm on a variety of fronts and helping families to finally say, we can't ignore this anymore. If something bad happens to my kid down the road, I can't just blame them and say, well, that's what you get for being gay or that's what you get for being lesbian. No, and you know what? shows us it's because of how the parents responded. No, and we have two minutes until our break, but one of the comments when when you talk about the things that – the much higher percentage of children who you know have uh, put at you know the emotional mm-hmm. the, the the mental and mm-hmm. the the physical health mm-hmm. risks and uh, a friend of mine and this um, I met Dr. Lois Lee when I was mm-hmm. on the National Advisory Council with former Surgeon General David Satcher and mm-hmm. she created the program Children of the Night. Mm-hmm. which is in essence a program, as they refer to it, for throwaway children, children right. who have literally been thrown out, who end up being forced into prostitution. Mm-hmm. Often the average age is 14 because mm-hmm. in order to get food and to get shelter, and many of right. this population are you know, children who are gay and mm-hmm. lesbian identified. Now, we are going to go to break. Mm-hmm. My guest this evening is Al Killian Harvey. We are talking on how to be supportive and how to be the best we can be for anyone making transition for GLBT youth and adults. And we will be back right after this break. Please stay with us. 
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. My guest this evening is uh, Kellen Harvey, and over the break we were um, obviously having a good time. Before we um, went to break, uh, we were speaking of the family acceptance um, project that had been done at San Francisco State University. And Al, did you not say it was Caitlin Ryan who did that on the micro level with family? Correct. Caitlin Ryan was the lead researcher. It's her project, and she's a real pioneer in this arena. Right. And what we were talking about over the break were the things coming up that are very topical right now in the news. And one of them being the Oregon study that just came forward, and I'm going to massacre his name. I think it's Hudson Bueller, Mark right. Hudson Bueller. Mm-hmm. And he looked at the, the suicide attempts in lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth in Oregon in... Now, take it away, Al. Tell me what, tell me what this study actually says. Yeah, um, the, the study just was released, so um, a lot of us are just disseminating the information right now. And I actually believe he's out of Columbia University. And mm-hmm. um, what I understand of the study, what he did was he took data from um, an organization call, uh, called the Trevor Project, which mm-hmm. is an amazing organization. So I'm going to try to do two things right here. I'm going to try to explain this study and also help um, all of your listeners understand about a valuable resource that is out there. Um, if we, if nothing else happens. Uh, 
um, after this uh, time that we have together, Lou, if everybody in the audience would um, write down the Trevor Project. Um, uh-huh. It's a it's a an incredible, incredible organization that staffs a hotline 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that kids can call in if they are feeling depressed, feeling suicidal, struggling with issues around their sexual identity or gender identity. And I'm going to plug the number because it's a lifesaver. Uh-huh. And the number is one eight six six. And then it's 488-7386. Okay. And where, or if you're, where, where are they located? It's a national number. You call that okay. number, and there are Trevor Projects. They, they're primarily based in Los Angeles, but there are chapters growing in all cities all over the United States, and they do tremendous, tremendous work. And so this study um, from Columbia University started to track where the calls into the, the hotline were coming from by region of the country. And what mm-hmm. he found was that a, there was an overrepresentation of calls, kids calling in feeling depressed or suicidal about their gender identity or sexual orientation. Those calls were coming in much more so from the southern parts of the, of the country and midwestern parts of the country that, in his estimation, overall had a more conservative cultural bent to those communities. Okay. And, and there were less number of calls that came in from um, the western part of the United States and from the northeast, which, uh, again, based on his data analysis, had more decidedly um, liberal or less conservative community sort of cultural norms. And so mm-hmm. his, his study is suggesting, not unlike Caitlin Ryan's Family Acceptance Project, that, um, that not just how a family responds, but how a community responds. So one micro, one macro. Absolutely. Can influence how kids feel about themselves and then what they do about it. We know Mm -hmm. we have a a very um, disproportionate number of kids that are questioning their sexual orientation or gender identity represented in the the attempted suicides. Um, Study after study has shown us that that is a major factor that might lead a kid to, to consider that. And so organizations like Trevor Project are in there to try to help these kids um, and help them get through this. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the people in your audience may be familiar with the It Gets Better series that was um, floating around on, uh, right. on YouTube. Uh, that, that, again, came through a bunch of organizations uh, worked on that, but certainly Trevor Project was crucial in that as well, mm-hmm. I, I just trying to get up. messages out. Right. I just pulled up the um, Facebook uh, Trevor Project and Great. Adam Lambert's there. You know, yes. his support of Trevor Project. Absolutely. And, they have and a it's great Facebook page. Yeah, the Facebook page is like, mm, lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And there's great and resources in there for kids, and there's mm-hmm. great resources in there for family members as well. So Trevor okay, and what about, for, good, mm-hmm. what about for adults? Yeah. Uh, lots of stuff out there. Um, another, uh, I'm a social worker, so I plug organizations here all the time. I have no, I want everybody to know I have no financial interest or anything in any of these organizations. <laughs> There's just good, solid resource connecting, which is what I do as a social worker. And the organizations I'm mentioning on your show today are organizations I'm intimately familiar with and have a great deal of, of confidence and respect in and that can help people that are struggling with this. For adults, there's an incredible organization called PFLAG. P-F-L-A-G, again, uh-huh. the letters P-F-L-A-G, the org- that stands for Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. Uh-huh. They have a wonderful website, pflag.org. 
Mm-hmm. There are PFLAG chapters in every major city in the United States and in countless smaller communities as well. It is an organization that is strictly voluntarily run. It is parents helping support other parents um, or siblings helping support other siblings as they come to terms with the fact that somebody in their family is gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. They do lovely work to help because many times when parents get this news, while other people may want to try to be supportive and helpful, therapists, teachers, counselors, um, there is, a, not unlike the kid coming out, the parent has a coming out process as well. And there is a sense of you don't understand what this is like. This mm-hmm. isn't just politics now. This is my kid. This is my family. And there is something really powerful when a parent who's dealing with this newfound information can sit in a room and talk with another parent about that experience. There is that kind of mirroring that is so helpful um, because, again, sometimes we rush the process. We want to say to a parent, okay, but it's still the same kid it always was, and you need to just sort of accept this and love him or love her and move on with it. Well, the process isn't that simple. No, I mean, all of a sudden, your whole... The, the thought of who you n- thought you knew this person was mm-hmm. or were aware of, and right. then the, sort of like the apple cart changes, yeah. and it's like, the, well, there won't be this in your life. And right. we kind of like look at people and assume that there's kind of like this road that everyone's going to travel right. down, and That's they don't right. realize that there's on and off ramps throughout right. our lives. Right. Absolutely. Now, what do you, now, what, go ahead. What were you going to say? I, I, well, and I use the term in, in, in both clinically and when I'm presenting, I use the term that both for the kids coming out as well as parents and family members when they find out or learn that somebody in their family is gay or lesbian, there is a need for a grief and loss process, and that's crucial. And many times we skip over that. And I want to be really, really clear because I take some heat sometimes for saying that because people misunderstand what I mean by that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that you need to grieve and lost this because you've, you know, you've now lost a normal kid and you've got to accept the fact that you don't have a normal kid anymore. That's not what I'm talking about in grief and loss. But as you alluded to, Lou, and I really appreciate the way you frame that, but you have lost a vision of a child that you created in your head, which mm-hmm. for most of us has been based on a heterosexual template. And before I can accept my kid, if I choose to or get there as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, I have to first let go of that template. And that involves grief and loss. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. But Mm -hmm. many times we get uncomfortable with that. Well, you shouldn't be sad about that. Just get excited about who he is. Parents need time to grieve that and let go before they can let in the the new kind of idea and concept of who their child is. Right. I mean, and people understand mm-hmm. that, you know, we have, um, that there is a, there's a, a grief process and, you mm-hmm. know, there's the end of my schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, uh, if there's a divorce, mm-hmm. there's, um, you know, you know that, oh, it, it, and yet any time there's a transition and change in our world, mm-hmm. Many times change is something that's kind of like, whoa, I don't want this to happen, but we know it's going to happen. This is kind of like the inevitability of something will Mm -hmm. happen. Right. And let's connect it, because I know the theme of your show, let's connect it to, you know, sexual health and sexual identity. There's a grief and loss period that happens for every parent as their child transitions from childhood to adolescence. And they start to navigate the sexual terrain. Right. It's like, oh, my God, my little kid now is going to start having, you know, these kind of intimate contacts with other people. And I have to let go of the innocence of that child 
first before I welcome in the exciting possibility of my child's now going to be a sexual being in the world and all the joy that goes with that as well. So it's a similar kind of grief and loss before one accepts the new uh, developmental stage that your child is in. Now, let me ask you these questions that sometimes Mm -hmm. people think. Now, we have Mm -hmm. probably two or three minutes until the break. Okay. What are parents' biggest fear? That it's mm-hmm. something that's in their genes, it's something mm-hmm. that they did, is mm-hmm. are they at fault by their parenting? Right. Is it something that made this happen? And actually right. I've just been told two point five minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For those of your Eric, audience Eric members that are old enough to remember this would be like lightning round in uh, password here. All right, so hey, real right. quick. Right. Um the, the, the fears and concerns of parents have been changing over time, and I think that's the last piece we're going to talk about uh, at the end is how, how the, the landscape is changing. But there are still st- some basic ones that still happen. Yes, first and foremost, because we still don't know um, what the origins and causations, if you will, of sexual orientation is. That's both heterosexual as well as gay, lesbian, and bisexual. People are still left to then imagine and create correlates that research hasn't made. So if my kid is gay or lesbian, therefore not normal, quote unquote, it must be because I did something wrong, one of the parents did something wrong, or we passed this on because I had a gay uncle, so it must be in our family genes. I mean, people make up all kinds of things no, I, I, to try I, I'm to understand sorry, I'm laughing. I know yeah. they do. Absolutely. It's very honest. Absolutely. It's very honest in their heart. Absolutely. And because we don't have an answer for them yet, it, it, it stokes that as well. We don't know to this day, even though people will tell you differently, it is important that everybody know this. To this day, when a baby is born, wherever they're born, we are no closer right now to be able to tell you whether that child over time will identify as heterosexual or gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. We don't know. We have lots of theories about what influences that, but none of those have been replicated enough over time to give us any direct correlation. So this whole arena of sexual orientation is still somewhat of a mystery for us, which Mm -hmm. then leads to all kinds of projections and hypotheses and, and things out there. And so parents obviously do that. I think the other area that they are concerned about, but we are seeing this just slightly less than we used to, to be gay or to be lesbian, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago meant, first of all, you're not going to ever be able to talk about that publicly because nobody is ever going to accept that. It was going to reduce the kinds of jobs that you might be able to have, the places you you might be able to live. People know. Absolutely. It also meant, assumed it meant, that you weren't going to have a long-term partnership because the myth back then was that gays and lesbians couldn't sustain relationships for any period of time. Exactly. And with with that, with the sustaining mm -hmm. of relationships, we're going to take a break. My guest is Al Killen Harvey. We're coming right back after what we already know about sexual orientation, and we're going to back clean up on this subject. Please stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody loves Jill. 
In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing? Chronicling her opinions on everything. The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist and Joan Duhane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Toginet Radio. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Um, my guest this evening is Al Kellen Harvey, and we have been discussing the coming out process, um, how to be supportive, how parents can get better information, how the kids who are going through this can get better information, the Trevor Project. And as we were taking the break, um, Al, you were saying that, you know, even though we still don't have, a, you know, an awareness of that baby born, whether or not, you know, today we have theories, but we can't replicate things. And, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, if you were gay, you simply did not. I mean, your whole life kind of went into eclipse. Fortunately, we have moved past that. Right. And yet we are still dealing with some impacts. I mean, one of them being, you know, the most recent um, suicide of the Rutgers University mm-hmm. uh, student, Clemente, mm-hmm. who, and, you know, the, the indictment of his roommate for having put mm-hmm. that um, material up on the Internet. Right. So we still have that, you know, type of bullying. We still have that type of outing that right. really puts someone at such tremendous risk until they are able, you know, he, this was who he knew he was, right. but that was very private. Right. And, and I think that situation, probably more than anyone that I can think of in recent time, shows both the work that we have to do yet ahead and the progress that we've made in one example. I really mm-hmm. do believe that. It shows how much this, that, that homophobia, the bullying, the taunting, all of that chipping away at one's sense of self-esteem, how much that really has been going on. Because you heard outpourings, outcries from people all over the country, kids all over the country, adults all over the country, sharing their stories about all of that. It happened to me. It happened to me. That's the whole it gets better kind of uh, video series. Right, the Dan Savage video. The, Absolutely, you know, which was I mean, brilliantly even, you know, done. Mm-hmm. Brilliantly done. And I think we're... Dan's, I, 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 Dan's a, a wizard. 
Yes. And as a trauma treatment therapist, I think, I don't know whether Dan realized it or not consciously when he set it up, it provided a healing forum for a lot of adult gay and lesbian folks who never got a chance to tell people how horrible it was for them when they were adolescents. And those videos have been a very healing kind of process for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, mean, even so, mm-hmm, please. But even, you know, Obama making the comment that you were not alone. Absolutely. And that's the other part of this. So as much as that situation showed us that we still have a lot of work to do because that's going on out there. When I was a teenager, that was happening all the time and it never made the newspaper. God knows the president would have never said anything about it. Uh, it gets better from the secretary of state. It gets better from the, you know, President Obama. The response was so strong and so powerful. A collective sort of, okay, this is not okay for us. This is not who we are as a country and as a culture. And mm-hmm. I think as horrible as that situation was, it is also showing us that we have really kind of rounded a corner. Doesn't mean we're at the end of the journey, but we have rounded a corner where there is a certain base level of, of, of interaction and respect for human beings that we are no longer going to um, allow people to drop below that, regardless uh-huh. of what that reason is. And if that's sexual orientation or gender identity, it's just not going to be tolerated collectively. It still happens. Kids are still at risk in, in all parts of our country and our culture. But what a powerful message for them to see the way collectively that we responded. And I think that's really hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that the younger demographic, you know, mm-hmm. 25 and under, mm-hmm. I mean, for many of them, they have a gay friend, they mm-hmm. have a number of gay friends, they may have a yep. trans friend, they may be bisexual yep. themselves, yep. and it's kind of like, what is everyone making the big fuss Absolutely. about? Absolutely. But what you and I both mm-hmm. know, and I've seen mm-hmm. this, have you ever seen those interviews where you see this child up there, and it's almost like a marionette where you can see the parents mm-hmm. opening and closing their mouths? Yep. Sure. And the kids are using words that they never right. would use. Right. I mean, it's just completely, you know, like, excuse me, mm-hmm. who turned mm-hmm. this child into a robot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, mm-hmm. we know that there are many times where kids will do the, they hear what their parents say, and right. they say that same thing, because for them, the important thing to make themselves be safe is mm-hmm. to repeat those right. behaviors. Right. And, right. you know, you, you right. spoke of the... Um, you know that being in a in a scenario and you, know, you don't want to say anything because right, right. oh my god you you heard your father have a complete you know fit mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. you know the the gay pride parade right, right and you knew that that was not right. safe right, so let's right. if I'm you know we're gonna mm-hmm. do the cleanup not the cleanup okay. as I would say <laughs> on what's coming forward and I'd like to go over the Institute of Medicine report mm-hmm. that that we both have what mm-hmm. are what do most friends or parents overlook or miss that could help or assist a child, adolescent, teen, young adult, 47-year-old come out? Sure, sure. Um, I, I think I, even though we've, we've made a lot of strides in, in that arena, I think that um, many parents, many uh, caring adults are responding better, um, more proactively. I think, uh, again, though, there is power 
in having your experience mirrored by someone else. And so I really encourage parents, community leaders, teachers um, to think about ways that as you're working with or interacting with or loving and raising somebody that is dealing with sexual identity and orientation issues, it is very powerful to have your acceptance of them. That is first and foremost, and that is going to be life-saving. But it is also important that they have ways to connect with other kids who have a similar experience. And it is Mm -hmm. hard, very hard for many gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender kids to find other gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered kids. And they need that, like every every kid, every adolescent needs to have their peers. And right, and are they finding them peers. online? They, they are, and we all know that there's beauty to all that, and there's tremendous risk to all of that as well, because nobody is regulating or monitoring who they're finding as they're kind of, you know, roaming out there on the Internet trying to find somebody. So there are great sites where one can do that, and there are really dangerous ones. This is where things like gay-straight alliances and school campuses become a really crucial part of this process. So for teachers, guidance counselors, parents, if you, even if it isn't about your own child, uh, this is something I wanted to mention, Lou. Um, I'm always struck by um, adults that I'm dealing with who do not have a child that is gay or lesbian, but they're their kids' friends came out to them because they mm-hmm. thought they were a cool parent and they would accept it or they, would, you know, they could at least be safe with them. So it may not even be about your own child. It may be about your, your children's friends or somebody in the neighborhood. Think about starting a gay-straight alliance in, your, in, in a high school. Um, but isn't that the thing that they, they mm-hmm. um, uh, had, um, Hudson-Buehler, that it was when there wasn't, an organized gay right. rights support group within these right. schools, mm-hmm. that was when the GLBT youth, and mm-hmm. even youth who were not identified right. as that, that is when there were more suicide attempts. Right. When there wasn't any place where they could go, when there was that hopelessness. Remember right. Dr. Elder spoke of the, four, the five H's that occur? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hopelessness being one of them when we were just in, in San Francisco. She, she spoke of that. Right. Um, and that's Dr. Elders, the former Surgeon General of the United States, who gave a very powerful talk at the conference that you and I were at in San Francisco mm-hmm. on uh, uh, sexual health and the need for sexual health in the United States. All aspects of sexual health, and Dr. Elders includes within that the need for sexual health information and resources for LGBT uh, kids as well. She's been a fierce advocate of, of every kid getting the information and the resources they need, even LGBT uh, kids as well. And I think that is, to, to go back to your earlier, where are we going, I think that is the next frontier, that mm-hmm. we've come from not even acknowledging that there is such a thing as gay and lesbian adolescents. I mean, 20 years ago, I had to convince people that kids were struggling with this. No, that doesn't happen until you're an adult. Well, we've gotten over that we now recognize mm-hmm. that this process starts from the beginning of our lives, and so we recognize they're out there. But that's only the beginning of the work. So it that's isn't true. enough to just say, okay, great, we know there's gay and lesbian adolescents. Well, now we have to help them navigate that adolescence. Well, we have to give them some modeling. We have to give them some support. We have to give them the ability to have appropriate um, experiences. And mm-hmm. that's the next arena. We have to give them good sexual health information and access to sexual health resources so they understand their body, so they're not, and they don't end up pregnant, they don't end up with it uh, if they don't choose to be, that they don't end up with a sexually transmitted infection, they don't end up with HIV. That arena where we start integrating that degree of sexual health around kids and adolescents, I think, is going to be the exciting kind of arena in the next 10, 20 years. Well, you know, I mean, speaking of the exciting information, we just had 
the Institute of Medicine of the National um, National Academies, <clears throat> excuse me, in Washington D.C., just released a um, report brief: the health of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. I had a conversation with Dr. Eli Coleman, who you and I both know as you know friend and colleague, and his comment was, "Thank goodness for this this paper. This is such a prelude for more research, and it's a great opportunity." And what the conclusion of this paper was, and, and actually Walter Boxing, who is at the Family of Medicine uh, University of Minnesota, is on the committee. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals have unique health experiences and needs, but as a nation, we do not know exactly what these experiences and needs are. To advance the understanding of health needs of all LBGT individuals, researchers need more data about the demographics of these populations, improve blah, 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 blah. But the important thing is we have actually here in our hands now, ta-da, a research paper that says we need and this creates those opportunities. As, as Eli said, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, he said, okay, we have a lesbian gay sexual health report. Now, why don't we have a general sexual health report? Each area builds on the other. And you and I work in an area of sexual health and personal health. And these parts of who you know you are in it, they can't, they can't be teased out. They can't be parsed out. They're part of who we are. It's like saying, here, let's, let's, let's put you into a cookie cutter and cut off your arms and legs and leave the rest of you there. Your arms and your legs are exactly a part of who you are. That's Absolutely. the same kind of thing. Absolutely. And, and part of the reason there is, I, I'm so excited about this next generation of um, LGBT youth that are soon to be adults is because many of them have not had to separate that out. Many of them have been able to integrate this so much earlier in their lives than men and women of my generation and certainly than men and women of generations before me so that these kids right from the get-go are using that integrated sense of who they are to create amazing things out there. For many of us, we had to put that on hold, which really impeded our creativity. It impeded our careers. It it, 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 it impeded, you know, who you were. We have probably 20 seconds left. Mm. My guest this evening is Al Killen Harvey. Al, is there an email or some way that people can get a hold of you? Sure, sure. absolutely. And I, I uh, please feel free to to drop me an email. My email address, and you're going to have to use a lot of ink. I have a lot of letters in my name. It is A K. I-L-L-E-N, then hyphen, dash, dash, Harvey, H-A-R-V as in Victor, E-Y, at Cox, C-O-X, dot net. Thank you for being with me, Al. And anyone, you can get a hold of me on my website, Lou Paget, Sex Talk with You. Thank you for being with me. Rabbi Ron Levine next week. Most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget.